all you beautiful people, and welcome to the fall series of the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I'm so happy to be back with you. I miss getting to connect with all of you. We had a strict deadline of getting my Christmas album to the manufacturer, so my little team that consists of me, my husband, and my manager, Matt Geis, have been burning the midnight oil in order to get all the finishing details worked out. I have felt... 41 weeks pregnant, basically, over the last week or so. If you saw my Instagram, you know that some friends and I launched a women's gathering in the Nashville area last week called The Well. So finishing a record very close to my heart at the same time as launching a place for women to gather together in our city and seek Jesus, it has been so beautiful, but full around here. Full like having twins, maybe. So when we set out dreaming up The Well, we had planned on meeting in the basement of our church in sort of this multi-purpose room, thinking that we'd probably have around 250 for our first meeting. Honestly, we would have seriously been blown away by 300 women gathering. But when we started getting up near 700 women RSVPing, we knew that God was up to something we weren't even prepared for. He surprised us in every way. The women of our city came so ready. We were so blown away by getting to hear their worship and the unity that happened in the room when we worshiped together. It was truly precious, and I'll never forget it, and I'm so excited that we get to do it again in October. We learned a lot, of course, which is great. We met as a team afterward and discussed what we learned and what we know moving forward, which is so good and healthy, but it was all met with absolute astonishment that God faithfully met us right where we needed to be. And when I looked over and I saw my friend Rebecca Lyons, who's in this with me, she basically almost was holding a 20-something young lady in her arms with tears streaming down both of their faces during the prayer time, and I was like, okay, this was needed. God knew at just the right time that this needed to be birthed for the women of our city to unify. I'm so incredibly excited about the months ahead to see how God leads us. Thank you for all of you who, on the launch, you celebrated with us on Instagram, and of course, all my dear friends who sent texts that just meant the world to us. So thank you also for podcast grace. It was two weeks worth of something's got to give for me, I have to be honest. I hope it encourages you, though, in a sweet way, that sometimes we just can't do everything, even things that are truly in your heart to do. The thing is, when the time comes around to jump back in, it's all the more sweeter because you were able to pause and you've taken the time you needed to be elsewhere. I hope it encourages you in having permission to prioritize, to do the very best you can with what you have, and then let go of the things that you just can't fit in. Hopefully, in living within the bullseye like we've talked about before, our heart health and our families are at the very top of the list, and we just kind of go from there. That's not to say that the podcast is always at the bottom of the list. Some weeks it has taken priority over other ministry things, but it's a give and take. And the most important thing is that it's life-giving in the end for you and for me. And while you're handing out grace, today is going to be a little bit different too. I've had such an amazing few months interviewing some pretty incredible people, and it has been such a joy to get to share all of it with you. Moving forward, I will continue to have guests on the podcast, but I will also be splashing in many episodes that are just me. And by many, I mean like small, me sharing some of my life journey, marriage, motherhood, ministry, and most of all, 
little glimmers of the glorious right in the middle of the everyday stuff of life. I loved hearing from several of you about the last episode with Bob Goff, where before the interview, I talked about choosing to live from our true selves and offering up our stories, even through fear that we have nothing to offer, maybe. And it's usually just on the other side of that that we find that what we have to share not only connects, but most of the time it hits right on the mark because God is all about connecting the dots, tying up loose ends, and allowing things to come full circle for people and for us. And when I think about it, us living from our true selves, that is the glorious and the mundane. The thing about living from your true self, too, is like we've talked about before, living from the bullseye and knowing that Jesus has your cause, that he's lifting it up, you really can then look around and truly start to see others. I have a friend named George not my dog, George, but J-O-R-G-E, George. He was born in Zimbabwe, and he grew up in South Africa, but has spent most of his adult life actually in England. But now he and his wife and his daughters, they live in Germany. So he's very well cultured. George actually looks a little bit more like a rock star or a bodyguard with his triangular fauxhawk and tattoos than he does a worship leader. But what's so great about George, most of all, is that he's a worshiper. And he's a lover of Jesus, and he loves people well. We get to travel with George and lead worship with Matt Redman several times a year. And Nathan and I always just marvel at George. We're so encouraged by him because he's always the guy talking to the security guard outside the green room at the arena, or he talks to the hotel clerk or the waiter at the restaurant. He's just a gift, or at least George seems to understand who he is and he takes every advantage to connect with people. In fact, we just traveled last week and got to be with George, and when we arrived at the hotel late last Wednesday night, there was George sitting at the restaurant sharing a meal with complete strangers. That was not an odd sight for us at all. He had found some men and women that were there for a sales conference and struck up a conversation with them, and lo and behold, one of them started to open up about their life and with tears in their eyes began to share some really hard hardships that they were going through. This person went on to say that they were getting ready to go on a trip alone and to do some soul searching, and George interjected that they might need to take some literature, you know, he says in his English accent, on the trip to read. By that, he was suggesting some books about God and suggested some themes that they should pray through and ask God about during their time alone. He had no idea where this person was with God, but he suggested it. And guess what? They were actually open and receptive to what he was sharing. I just love that. It reminds me that people just want to be heard. They want to feel known. They want to be seen and spoken to. And often, they will open up. And you'll find that the very thing you maybe just walked through was the very thing that that person needed to hear. One of the things I notice about people who have this gift is basically they just start playing 20 questions. This is something to work on and maybe even start writing down. I know I want to do this. Just have a list of five or 10 questions to ask someone you don't know or someone you do know for that matter. But what are some good questions that maybe just open things up to share from your life? George is one of those people who have just spoken some really profound things into Nathan and I at very strategic times in our life, and it's really blessed us. He's very perceptive, and most of all, he's loving and he's merciful. I think that's a great thing for me to pray even for my own life 
in my own soul searching, God, give me more love as my motivation for everything that I do and grant me mercy to offer others. And by mercy for others, I mean the ability to sense and respond to the emotional and spiritual needs of others, to be kind and gentle, to see them, to hear them out. I've often wondered, it's possible that people leave thinking more of Jesus because of how George has shown them mercy and kindness and how he just offers himself generously to others. It's such a beautiful thing. Back to the 20 questions thing. This is something I've gone over with my children a few times recently, and it's been really helpful. Being the new family in town this past year has brought up the conversation multiple times of how do we go about the process of making friends? I even called my brother Eric about it one day to gain some wisdom on it from a parenting perspective. He has three girls, and he has some great insight around the idea. He shared with me, what if we teach our kids to shift the whole thing around? Instead of walking into a room of new people and thinking, okay, so who's going to be my friend? What if instead you walked into the room and prayed, Jesus, show me who needs a friend today? I remember before I dropped Ellie off for our church camp this past summer, or even just before small group on Wednesday nights, I'd say, okay, let's think of five opening questions you can ask others. Don't wait for people to ask you. You ask them. So we role-played it out loud a little bit. Hi, I'm Ellie. What's your name? What grade are you going into? Really? Cool. Me too. What school do you go to? Cool. I homeschool. Do you play sports or what are you into? So the questions can kind of act as both a buffer for the awkwardness, but also it's a genuine way to find out things about that person. And often you'll remember those very first things that you learn about people. But somehow just being prepared and equipped for this scenario built a confidence. And lo and behold, she made a really good friend at camp. As we all know, it often just takes one friend, doesn't it? One friend gives you the confidence to maybe step into another friendship and another. And overall, I think the move has been so good for all of us, especially the kids. Honestly, I think every kid needs to experience being the new kid every so often. Since my dad was a pastor when I was a kid, I didn't even realize how I was basically counting on my dad's status at the church to sort of hem me in in a way. My identity was definitely, I'm the preacher's kid. And there was also a certain element of just being able to truly hide the real me behind whatever being the preacher's kid looked like or meant to everyone else. I didn't really know, to be honest, what it looked like or what it meant. I was just happy for the real me to actually stay hidden and quiet. And I realized after moving here that our children had been a bit locked up in that very thing when we were living in Atlanta. At the church plant we were involved in, I think our kids found a certain identity in Nathan and I being on the stage frequently and us having the green room key fob that gets you to where all the fun drinks and snacks are. The thing is, if you've placed something or someone as your identity, you begin to hide behind that something or someone. You're fine to just be known for that something or someone, and you decide that it's not really worth the trouble to rise up in who you really are, your true self. You're content to just hide. It just feels safer there. And what I've watched unfold here with our kids is that there's not as much to hide behind here. We do lead at our church, but our name is rarely ever mentioned from the stage. There's a room backstage, but there's no cool key fob that beeps and lets us in. All we have is to show up as a family over and over. 
Sometimes we're on the back row, sometimes on the second row, sometimes somewhere in between, and sometimes on the stage. So I think back on Ellie beginning to first step foot into students at our new church on Wednesday nights, or when she loaded the bus for church camp this past summer, not knowing a soul, literally, it must have felt so exposing to her. And we talked about it, she and I, about the fact that it was so much easier being Christy Knuckles' child at a church that I led from the stage year after year, and everyone seemed to know us. And she even kind of became recognized for being my daughter at times. But then God had the appointed summer this past summer before her eighth grade year where he began to bring out the beauty that he's put in her by letting her grow roots, starting to grow deep into who he is. It was like he was saying, Ellie, I'm calling you to hide in me now. For a while, it's been safe to hide in mom and dad. But now, in this process, Jesus is calling her to a new place of finding her identity in him alone. And yes, it feels bare and cold. And that's the thing. He doesn't always cure the sting of it all and the awkwardness. He doesn't always shorten the gap or fill the void. Sometimes he lets us feel it and grow and even blossom in it. Sometimes he teaches us through the sadness and the loneliness. He knows that that loneliness could lead us to him if we let it. It could cause us to journal more, to paint alone in our room for a while to lay in a hammock and ponder what he's up to. The most beautiful thing about Jesus is that only he can offer us an identity in himself and let us truly hide there and rest there. All the while, he's bringing us into fullness. It says in Colossians 2.10 that in Christ we have been brought to fullness. I love that. My friend Lauren Chandler said one time to me, only Jesus can bear the weight of our worship. I love that thought, and it's so true in this case, too, of identity. Only Jesus can bear the weight of us hiding in Him, of us saying, He's where I get my identity. I belong to Him. No parent or pastor or spouse or friend can bear that weight for us. Only Jesus can bear the weight of our identity being found fully in Him and at the same time raise us into fullness in Him. As a parent, I want to be found merciful in these moments, knowing I can't shorten the gap or fill the awkward space, but I can reach over in the car the night before camp as we were headed to buy athletic shorts just before the store closed. Yes, it was about 9 o'clock. And I can put my hand on her hand, and with tears in my eyes, I can lift up a prayer from a mother's heart to my loving father and say, We just ask you for one friend. If you could have seen the smile on her face when we picked her up from camp, she was a different person. It was glorious. He answered our prayer. The other thing about parenting is often he speaks to us through what our children are going through, or he takes us through it spiritually just before they are about to go through it. In my case, I feel like I've had bouts of this very thing the last five years, Several seasons of him pruning me, cutting back what didn't need to be there, teaching me that it's the roots, not the blooms, that grow the branch, that bear the fruit. I don't know about you, but I can walk in a room still to this day and let it swallow me if I'm not in the right frame of mind or heart. 
Instead of living confidently for my true self and actually showing kindness and mercy and friendship to people, I can start to worry and I can start to strive and I can start to question and ultimately hide. I wrote a song about this several years ago that's very dear to my heart, about being able to confess that though I'm weak and small, I can know full well that with my roots deep in Jesus, I'll grow into the fullness He has for me. I'll grow into my true self. Though I'm small, I'll still be standing in the storm because I'm planted by the river, by streams of living water, and I'll grow up strong and beautiful, all for the display of His splendor. Even in the pruning, I know that He knows best. I've learned to lean into that process because He knows what does and does not need to remain. so concerned with what I look like from the outside And will I blossom into what you hope I'll be Yet you're so patient just to help me see The blooms come from a deeper seed that you planted in me Sometimes it's hard to grow when everybody's watching To have your heart pruned by the one who knows best And though I'm bare and cold, I know my season's coming And I'll spring up in your endless faithfulness
With my roots deep in you, I grow the branch that bears the fruit. And though I'm small, I'll still be standing in the storm. Cause I Strong and beautiful, all for your splendor, Lord. Oh, your splendor, Lord. When I think about a tiny tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season. A tree who has been pruned over and over, because after all, John 15 says that he prunes those who bear fruit so that they will bear more fruit. When I think of this little tree, though it's tiny, it's fiercely strong and has withstood waves and hurricanes, some of life's darkest storms. This little tree reminds me of my mama. No one has encouraged me more in my life to grow up strong and beautiful, all for the display of God's splendor more than my mom. Part of this is just how she's lived her life because she's this strong and sturdy little tree with these deep roots down in the truth. And because of that, she's really able to see others with merciful eyes, with kindness. She's been able to reach for others and even at times provide for others. God painted the perfect picture for the beginning of my story with all the right strokes and scenery. He threw in the vibrant colors of being born a preacher's kid and mixed with it rich and earthy tones and wide open spaces of Oklahoma. Big churches, small towns, denominational walls, pride and prejudice, the whole nine yards and then some. The church, at least in my eyes as a kid, was for the most part a time and a place, not necessarily people. We wore the right clothes, we looked the part, we did the stuff, some really good, I'm sure, some not so good, I know. Vivid memories are few of my youth, really, just little blurs of thousands of days come and gone. A few stick out, though. I'm sure just to protect us, though, God mostly blurs our memories because He's merciful. My mama, meek and mild, but fierce in protecting those that she loves, she played the piano, stage left at church, and sometimes the organ, stage right. She taught Sunday school, vacation Bible school, and loads of piano lessons in her day and is still at it, by the way. Her parents were the stuff of the earth kind of people, people you want to have as friends. Yes, faithful, church-going kind of people. There whenever the doors were open, especially after Uncle Kelly's accident, my mom's baby brother. That was the day they pledged their lives to God forever, vowing that they would serve Him always if He'd just heal their son. I mean, I would promise that too if my heart was far from God and I had just accidentally backed over my toddler in the driveway. I would beat my chest too in the same way and plead with God to have mercy. He did, and in the best way they knew how, Dee and Lurleen, my grandparents, would love God and serve Him and His people until the day He called them home. Whether it was for hiding or healing, laughter has always been a form of bonding for our family and still is, and my mom's parents were certainly big contributors to that through the years. 
One of my granny's favorite stories about me that my dad loves to tell to this day is about when he was interviewing to be the new pastor for my grandparents' church in Muskogee, Oklahoma. So needless to say, the pressure was on. We needed to look right, act right, smell right. Well, this was when I was three years old, and apparently I was all dolled up in the front row with my mom and my granny, who happened to be the church secretary on top of being the very proud mother-in-law of the new pastoral candidate. I soon fell asleep in my mother's lap as the sermon began. To my daddy's horror, I began to pass very loud gas through my little ruffled bloomers during the entire sermon. It was apparently so loud that my mother and granny were shaking the entire wooden pew from laughing so hard. You know that, like, good old case of church laughter, the kind that just comes on like an earthquake and you can't stop it no matter what. The kind that whatever you're laughing at might be funny, but then things that aren't even funny are suddenly hilarious and you can't even breathe. I like to say that everyone loved the fact that I felt free to just be myself, (laughs) to be my truest self. You know, just take a nap and let toots in church. So Daddy got the job, and the rest was history. But what a sweet testament sitting at the funerals of my mom's parents, that same granny laughing on that pew, and my grandpa, Dee. We lost both of them in their early 90s, only a handful of years ago and really a year apart from each other. And it was just so marking and beautiful to hear people stand up and say things about them. They were so much fun, and they laughed all the time, and they danced. Um, People got up that day and said things like, Your Grandpa D built my house for me 40 years ago, and it's still one of the strongest houses that anyone has ever seen. Or Lurleen and Dee and their little dog used to come to see me every Saturday at the farmer's market, and they're how I came to know Jesus. They were just so much fun, and they lived their lives from their truest selves and were able to always see other people around them no matter what. It was just the most beautiful thing. And the thing about merciful people, it's it's difficult to understand how fierce mercy can be until you've lived with it. As a married woman of over 20 years now, I understand God's masterful hand in pairing people. God paired my merciful mama with my athlete of a daddy, who on his own was like a force of nature growing up. Daddy has always been tall, dark, and handsome, and he's always been an athlete. In fact, he was the kind of athlete that would eventually break all kinds of records in track and field, despite the fact that the doctors told his parents that he would never be able to play sports or walk for that matter. And they, just like my mama's parents, beat their chest and cried out for God's mercy and made a vow. They vowed to God that if he would just heal their son, that they'd serve God and his church for the rest of their days. And because mercy is God's favorite theme song, he sang it over my daddy that day. He healed that boy straight up of the polio virus. And even though those doctors said that he'd be in an iron lung for the rest of his days, God surprised them all. And Mercy became Grandma Georgia and Grandpa Judd's song, too. And they sang it all their days, and they even taught it to me. Yes, Daddy would have limitations, like his curled-up toes that the grandkids still kind of giggle at, and even more critical limitations like stiff joints and limited mobility from the damage the disease had already done in his body. But even with those limitations, he'd win all kinds of medals and break all those records and even play college basketball on the 1966 NAIA championship basketball team. He's very proud of that. 
Yes, Daddy was an athlete on the field, but for many years it seemed he carried his athletic mentality into the pulpit and even into fatherhood. He would admit that to you, and I can testify how much this man has changed over the years. In fact, he's said before that he remembers the season in his life where he stopped fathering by the law and began to father us by grace. A pastor from the moment I was born, a worship leader even before that, Daddy was just a go-getter for the kingdom. An athlete is someone who's skilled and proficient in sports and other forms of exercise that require physical skill and strength. So we were at church whenever the doors were open. In fact, we were usually the first ones in and the last ones out. God used breaking and pruning moments in my dad's life through the years so much that the athlete mentality, that I'm going to be the best at everything mentality, would fade into a spiritual limp of sorts from those breaking and pruning moments. But more importantly, a humble stance of it's by your spirit, Lord, not by might, not my power, but it's by your spirit. What a beautiful testimony for me to watch this unfold. It's so precious how the pruning process will often soften a heart. More often than not, when our whole family's gathered, my dad will hush the room and say out loud as he looks at his bride, my mama, have I told all of you lately how much I love your mother and what a beautiful woman I think she is? We usually all stay hushed for just a moment longer, knowing that that's really rare and it's to be treasured. My mama, meek and merciful, she's accomplished some beautiful feats inside this picture that God's been painting of our family through the years. Nothing that would have been praised by the multitudes back then, but I bet you God was cheering. Like the time she helped a lady for a few months when I was in grade school, I don't even know how mama knew her. Again, my memories are just bits and pieces here and there, but I do remember the house she lived in. I don't remember if there was any furniture in it. I just remember that we never really sat down. There were kids with snotty noses and cats, lots of cats, cats that birthed kittens on newspapers on the kitchen floor. One day we went over there with sacks and sacks of groceries. That was because Mama found out that the lady wasn't buying groceries with the money that we'd been giving her. We knocked and knocked, and there was no answer that day. We walked around the house to the muddy backyard. The door was unlocked, so we went inside and found that the lady and the snotty-nosed kids and the kittens were nowhere to be found. Just newspapers and bottles and traces of all kinds of sadness. Even I could see that as an eight-year-old. Only God knows where that lady went. She might have moved on to the next town. She might have even been an angel, for all I know. Regardless... Mama passed the test. She simply has a heart for hurting people, and she's compelled to fix the hurt, even though people can't really fix hurting people. If she can dull the ache, though, she will. Like the time we took the measuring tape from the sewing box and went over to measure Mr. Hearn's daughter, a family from our church. Even as a child, I understood that he had severe health problems. I never saw or knew his wife. She wasn't in the picture, but his little girl was. She was a little younger than me, short and plump with rosy cheeks and dark curly locks for hair. I watched Mama as she wrapped that measuring tape around that little girl's belly, then head to toe, then around her sweet pudgy arms, and away we went. I got to pick out the fabric and the pattern that afternoon. Over the next few weeks, I watched it come together, just in time for a Good Friday delivery, right on time for Easter. 
It was a perfect fit, and so was mine as I tried it on later that evening. You'd think that she would have made me give up my Easter dress that year or maybe just go down to Walmart and pick me up one, but no. Miss Mercy sewed two custom tailored Easter dresses that year and every year after that until we moved away from that town. That's the thing, looking back. Mama was being the church. Before me or anyone else I knew understood that worship and justice should be married, Mama had them arm in arm. And that's the sweet thing about getting to be a mama. You get the gift of setting the tone for your little ones early on. She set the tone for me, that's for sure. I took her word for it, too. Like I told you about that night when Daddy was preaching and I was practicing handwriting my Bible verse for my mama, the verse that I call my life verse, actually, the one that was on the plaque in the hallway by my room. It said, Christy, follower of Christ, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Psalm 37, 5. I memorized it and wrote it on every little piece of everything I could find. Every day I walked by that plaque and read the words, Christy, follower of Christ. That counted for something in my book. I bet I looked at that plaque 50 times a day. Eventually, I let it name me. I'm a follower of Christ. That night in church, I printed it out as best I could with my seven-year-old handwriting, and I gave it to my mom. She had the wisdom in that moment to turn that little piece of paper over to write, Yes, if Christy gives her heart to Jesus, He will show her the way to go. And that was the moment. Was it years in the making? Was it months or days or just that instance? I wonder how long does God hover over a heart, drawing it to Himself? What all does it take for simple truth to fall on fertile soil? And that's a little bit of the glorious and the mundane today. Groceries and homemade dresses, farmer's market trips that turn into a way to lead somebody to Jesus. It's teaching our kids to play 20 questions and recommending literature to complete strangers, truth that might just lead them on the path to their own Jesus story. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you've been encouraged yet again to live from your own Jesus story, to offer what you have today, even if it's unseen. And I pray that in that unseen place, you experience the fullness of who you really are in Christ. You can keep up with me, as always, on Instagram, at Christy Knuckles, or you can find me at christyknuckles.com. I'm going to have a very special guest next week that I'm very excited about, and I will talk to you soon. Have a glorious day.